Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. Day the show goes live, Friday, June 2nd, will be the day that the highly anticipated Spider-Man Across the Spider-Roots officially arrives in theaters. And just last week, Aaron, we were talking about how Sony Pictures Animation had projected opening weekend in domestic. The, I guess the low end was 85, the high end was 105. But just today, Variety actually revised that number downward, not because the reviews for Across the Spider-Verse are any less stellar or that there's any less enthusiasm for this thing. But weirdly, it's now about how Disney's live-action Little Mermaid does during its second weekend. That did stronger than people anticipated. Now it's like, well, crud. Is that going to be more competition for Across the Spider-Verse? See, I thought Sony was just trying to shorten the the racetrack a little bit and go, oh, uh, we projected 85, but we got 100. Look at how great we are. But I, I can see what you're saying as, as a legitimate concern. So, okay. You know, a lot of this is tea leaves and what weekend is the movie opening up and how did the first film do? And now people are projecting potentially what this film will make over its entire theatrical run worldwide which is kind of the box office equivalent of the 10-day weather forecast. I mean, sure, maybe it will rain. You know, it's based on, what is it, hard science, historic experience, but also, let's be honest here, wild-ass guesses. So, Into the Spider-Verse made $190 million in North America back in December of 2018, an additional 94 overseas. So, that movie made $384 million worldwide. What industry insiders are saying now, given uh, Across the Spider-Verse is opening at the start of summer blockbuster season, plus the strong buzz for this uh, Into the Spider-Verse sequel, current thinking now is the potential worldwide gross for the Sony Pictures animation production will fall somewhere between 600 and 800 million, roughly one and a half times to two times what the very first animated Spider-Man made back in late 2018, early 2019. We've just gotten through Memorial Day. Tell you what, let's revisit this topic come the 4th of July, which, by the way, is just five weeks from when Aaron and I are recording the show and see how spot on these folks are about across the Spider-Verse worldwide box office potential. Um, lots and lots of news this week, folks. Uh, but before we get to the news, I want to remind you, news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Sort of circling back in some other news that Aaron and I have discussed on earlier shows, the writer's strike continues to impact a lot of projects that were just about to get out the gate for Marvel Studios. Did you hear the latest news about the Thunderbolts? Well, I'm certain they can't be doing much if they have no writers. <laughs> well, Isn't that usually how, how the story goes, right? Yeah, I mean, what kind of especially trips up Marvel Studios is their now patented process? You know, the whole notion of 
you have your script, you do your pre-production, you shoot, but you're also cutting as you shoot. And the studio is constantly looking at the film and going, okay, we need to change this, we need to redo that. And so it's a much more hands-on, fluid process. And the rules of the writer's strike are you can shoot a TV show, you can shoot a movie, but you can't change the script. It has to be shot verbatim for whatever whatever script you had in hand prior to the start of the writer's strike is the only thing you can shoot. Technical question. Hold on. Mm-hmm. What if there's a typo? Uh, well, there we go. My kingdom for a hose. My kingdom for a hose. Is it, shouldn't this be a horse bop? Yeah, but writer's strike. Just say hose. We'll recut it again later in two months. I mean, what, what happens really, Jim? Do you, do you have an answer? Do you know? Frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a dram. I just right, don't yeah, know. exactly. That, that's interesting. Anyway, to sort of bring up to date here, folks, Blade hit a pause. Likewise, Wonder Man, that's the limited series that was shooting out in L.A. The latest project to get shut down was Thunderbolts. They've been shooting the Captain America New World Order, which features Harrison Ford as president. I want to say President Thunderbolt. And I, uh, president, president Ross. Ross. There we go. This will be the first time that they've had to de-age an actor within the same film because of the time lapse between one shot and the other. There we go. There we go. What they were hoping to do is basically make life easier for Mr. Ford, you know, to the effect of we will shoot your scenes for a new world order and Mm -hmm. then we'll front load the stuff that we need from you for a Thunderbolt. So, you know, it just would be six or eight weeks of his life and then he could move on. But obviously, that's not going to happen now. You know, one of the other problems that I see pop up during all of this Mm -hmm. is the fact of the sets. Like, they're in Atlanta. A lot of the productions are in Atlanta. Some are, you know, maybe in England or Australia. But whatever. You've still got a set that's built on a stage. And then you know the Marvel way is we'll shoot, we'll cut it together, and we might reshoot later. So they have to kind of have a way to preserve the set until they're really committed to being done with the film. Mm -hmm. Because if they decide to go back and shoot again, on, on that set, or if they tear, if they strike the set, tear it down, and they go, oh wait, we need that back. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge, huge added cost for no stupid reason, right? So I, I can see how like the writing stops, the sets stop, mm-hmm. the timeline, uh, entire timeline, and it has to stop. Mm-hmm. Have we gotten any release dates pushed back yet, or are they just going to kind of put the squeeze on the directors, going, well, you had a year and a half, now you've got nine months, go? Studios fight for the prime release dates and we saw so much scrambling during the pandemic with you know people Mm -hmm. pushing stuff around and and for a lot of folks it's like okay they were breathing easy you know to the effect of okay people are coming back to theaters and let's hang on to our release dates so yeah the strike is definitely screwing with with studios plans and and it's interesting you you mentioned sets and such because a lot of productions will shoot in the UK because the rules for set construction in England are different. So you can actually Mm. get a lot more practical set for the same price point. So Deadpool 3 has just begun shooting over there. And in fact, again, Deadpool 3 is another film that is being impacted by the Writers Guild, except for one caveat, which as we mentioned, you can only shoot what's on the page, except Ryan Reynolds, as it turns out, is also a producer 
on Deadpool 3. And the way the language of the PGA, the Producers Guild of America, it's supposedly written, is that because he's the producer and a producer is allowed to make certain small changes to a film, this may be the loophole that allows him to improvise in much the same ways that Ryan improvised for the original Deadpool and then Deadpool 2. But somebody else was pointing out when Ryan first played the role of Deadpool in X-Men Origins Wolverine, mm-hmm. that script got screwed up by the 2007 writer's strike. And Ryan basically wrote all of his own lines for the script for that film because no writer can actually touch the film. So when when I come across Ryan Reynolds at my next cocktail party, mm-hmm. I should yell scab at him. Well, Throw my drink in his face and walk around. I said good day, sir. Yeah, yeah. So he was a scab in 2007, but now he's a producer. I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll have to break out the contract and be like, show me in paragraph seven. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to have uh, the scene from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia of like, my client has a contract saying he does not have donkey brains. <laughs> do you have a contract saying that you do not have donkey brains? I am behind on my It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but that one I have to catch. I don't know what, what his, you know, if he's got a loophole as a producer, mm. would his peers in the Hollywood system be like, hey, man, it was supposed to have some unity with us. You know, mm-hmm. why didn't you stand by our side? Why'd you go and do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, will, will he be villainized, demonized for, for his trying to make a movie that he's paying for? If we're talking about the 2007 situation, I don't know the particulars there. What's especially interesting about the 2023 Writers Guild strike is that a lot of these, whether it's Wonder Man or it's... Blade? Well, no, both Blade and Thunderbolt got shut down in pre-production. It was just Ah, a case of, you know, we, we need rewrites, we can't... You know, we can't move forward with the rewrites hit pause. Wonder Man, on the other hand, was in production and it was a case of a picket line was set up. Other members of the guild that were uh, or or the of the other guilds that are supporting the writers. It's like, I'm not crossing that picket line. And that's what shut them down. So it's one of these things where it's like if Deadpool 3, if they can set up a picket line over there. And the unions in the UK respect that. It's entirely possible it will get shut down. And in fact, didn't you also have some news to potentially share? I mean, there, isn't there a rumor out there about who may be joining the cast of Deadpool 3? Yeah, and we've already had the rumor that we'll get Ian McKellen back as Magneto Mm -hmm. and Patrick Stewart back as Xavier. It looks like there could possibly be, according to the rumor, Mm -hmm. more X-Men, more legendary X-Men from the the Fox days. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've got Halle Berry, Famke Jansen, and James Marsden, who played Storm, Jean Grey, and Cyclops in the original. They are rumored to be coming back. In what capacity, I don't know, because you got to remember, in the last Deadpool movie, he was making a joke about being in the X-Mansion, and like, they, what, you can't afford any of the other X-Men to show up in this? And then they open the door, and there's like all of them standing there, and then they just kind of close the door on them, and that's that's it. So it could be a two-second affair. I don't know. I have to admit, I, I did love that scene. And now, uh, speaking of cameos, we, of course, have tail end of this month, Secret Invasion which shows up on Disney Plus on June 21st, when we saw Nick Fury in Captain Marvel, 
we saw him with Clark Gregg's Agent Coulson. And Clark Gregg was just at the Motor City Comic Con and got to speak with the Cosmic Circus podcast while he was there and got asked about a potential MCU comeback, especially given Secret Invasion coming over the hill. Clark Gray came back and said, well, there's always a chance. The follow-up question says, there's always a chance here. You're always down to come back for more. It's like, it's a multiverse. <laughs> you know, of course. You know, and he loves playing the character. And in fact, uh, he's already come back for Marvel What If?, by the way, another little tidbit about Secret Invasion, Disney Plus is describing the show as having six hour long episodes. So no more of this 30 minutes with 25 minutes of credits. There we go. All right. right. And speaking of episode count, once again, you got to love Patty LuPone. Patty, evidently, the topic of the writer's strike came up, and she's like, oh, don't worry about it. All nine scripts for the show were written before we started filming. So it's like, uh, Patty, we, we hadn't told anybody we were doing nine episodes. By the way, the soundtrack, uh, it, it, number seven, is called Death of Qui-Gon Jinn, by the way. It's really a, a banger. Your kids will love it. What? Yeah. What do you mean? That's a spoiler. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> Uh, while we are talking about subscription streaming services and the like, wondered what you made of the news from last week about the Runaways disappearing from Hulu. Well, I mean, they're called the Runaways. We should have expected their disappearance. There we go. There okay. We go. okay. Uh, no, it's it was a it was a neat show. I, I watched the first season. I didn't follow it after that. Mm-hmm. Um, they did have the uh, what's the book that. Uh, Scarlet Witch ended up getting there in the Multiverse of Madness. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yep. that that book was mm-hmm. heavily featured in that series. Mm-hmm. But uh, my question is: so Disney was going to remove a bunch of content mm-hmm. from both Disney Plus and Hulu in cost-saving measures. Mm-hmm. So is the cost-saving measure the royalties they have to pay the actors and the staff that were a part of that every time it gets streamed? It costs them like twenty-five cents to somebody. Is that the cost that they're saving? I have been trying to get somebody to say this on the record. Mm-hmm. When you talk with somebody in a professional capacity in uh, the promotion sides of either Disney Plus or Hulu, they immediately go off the record about this issue because it, it, it is such a ridiculous hot button. And some of the stuff that got selected to get pulled off of both Disney Plus and Hulu For example, uh, when they pulled the Howard, the Howard Ashman documentary off of Disney, and in fact, again, just ahead of the start of Pride Month, the LGBTQ community kind of lost its mind and then suddenly Disney, did we say we were taking Howard off? Oh my God, I get it. We'll leave it on for one more month and then we're going to take it off. There we go. So, Well, I mean, the thing is, if it doesn't get views, they, mm-hmm. they know what the numbers are. And a lot of the shows that Disney Plus said that they were going to take off mm-hmm. were things that I had no interest in watching anyway. And there were very few of them that I had even heard of. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of them were like, okay, fine. I can see, you know, if they're not getting the views, if they're not getting the eyeballs, but where exactly are you saving money? It's not like, is it hard drive space, L- literally? Because, I mean, that is a thing. you got you got to have hundreds, maybe thousands of servers in order for all of the people to be able to stream Mandalorian at 3 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. on a Wednesday. 
So, I mean, there is like the sense of it does take up space and you've only got so much space on a hard drive to put your content on. And if it gets zero spins, yeah, take it off, put something else that's worthy on there. But other than that, I'm just trying to figure out the product has already been made. The bulk of the money has been spent. Mm -hmm. So if you're saving money, it's got to be paying royalties to someone, which really doesn't help the actors at all, does it? It does not. It does not. And one of the real bones of contention about this particular strike is, of course, the whole AI issue, which we discussed, you know, the whole notion of, well, I own your performance as an actor in this film, and I can now do whatever I want with that. You know, I think one thing that Disney should have done that would have been palatable, Mm -hmm. more palatable, they should have said instead of removing it from Disney Plus, they should have said, we're putting it in the vault because that's language that Disney fans understand. Oh, it's going to go away for five to ten years. Okay, we get it. Maybe the next time it comes out, it will be the the Diamond Jubilee edition of Lion King, right? Where if uh, streaming has hurt their physical media sales, Mm -hmm. pull the Howard Ashman story and put it onto a DVD and sell it there for Pride Month. That's actually a really ingenious idea. I mean, I love that you use Disney history as, as a workaround here. No, 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 no. It's not going away. It's going in the vault. Well, like you said, the, the people that do the, the promotional side, they always have to have the positive spin even on a negative event. Mm-hmm. And so you can't say, well, we produced a bunch of garbage. <laughs> you know, you, you can't say that. Mm-hmm. You, you can't say that nobody was interested in the things that you produced. You can't say that. So, I mean, what are you going to say? Just say, oh, we're going to put it in the vault. That makes it special. You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And one day you're going to love this thing because you don't love it today. Mm. Wait 10 years. <laughs> Get back to us. That's a brilliant idea. That really is a brilliant idea. But at the same time, only a Disney can cash in in the ways that they do. Did you see the the announcement about the latest set of of Lego Marvel-related sets out there? Yes, sir. The Spider-Man on the Statue of Liberty? Yes, yes. Do you want to know how I'm going to get that? (laughs) How are you going to get that? Well, I I don't know how or when, but my my wife sent it to me in a little post, and she's like, when? (laughs) With a question mark, which means that she's probably already pre-ordered it. That's my guess. (laughs) All right. Well, just a review here. This is the big action set piece done in Lego form. It's a 360-degree set, and as you mentioned, it's the battle on top of... Is it the Statue of Liberty? It's the top half of the stat, like a bust, so to speak, up. And then there's the scaffolding around it. Mm-hmm. There is a little Lego portal for uh, Doctor Strange to appear and save the day. It's mm-hmm. got all of your villains mm-hmm. and many Spider-Men's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's not a full standing statue of liberty mm-hmm. down to the toes. Okay. So. okay. Well, no, no, I just, I, I love this piece, but did you see the one where it's the, the women of Marvel from the, remember the famous scene from Endgame that has virtually every female Marvel superhero in it? And I just I love the noise the audience made at that moment. But this is that also done in Lego form. So Captain Marvel and Scarlet Witch and Shuri and Valkyrie. And, but at the same time, the Lego set that you were talking about, the No Way Home set, that's mm-hmm. 900 pieces. This is 794. Pshaw, that's a starter set. <laughs> oh. Okay. All I can picture is I would get three pieces in it and start weeping softly. 
I've got a friend who's got the Lego Millennium Falcon, and, and that one will put any grown man to tears mm-hmm. because at some point he he moved it to the display mm-hmm. and like a piece broke off, a little mm-hmm. greebly, mm-hmm. and he has no idea where it came from or where it goes. Aww. But it sits next to the Falcon. He's like, I could go through like 675 pages of instructions to <laughs> try and find it, but nah, f- that. <laughs> okay, I get that. I get that. But, but, but look. I know I'm a wimp. I I know I have no patience. In fact, every time I read a story lately about Jeremy Renner, I just, I feel like, you know, I mean, this guy basically got crushed by a snowplow in early January. And did you see the, he's up and jogging now? In fact, what he just, uh, Instagram posted, first attempt at a light jog with weight assisted uh, wait a second, you know, because he's still dealing with a broken tibia and pain is progress to me. But again, he has all of his friends who are supporting them. In fact, James Gunn reached out and he's in the middle of dealing with the, with the casting of Superman Legacy. And But, oh, oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did yeah. you see The Flash story this week about who cameos in The Flash? No, not yet. This is such a deep cut. Nicolas Cage shows up in this movie as Superman. No, sir. I don't believe it. Nope. Nope. I don't believe it. This has actually already been confirmed by the, by the director and evidently talked about how Nicolas Cage was so crazy gracious when they reached out and said, sure, would love to do it. But for those of you to remember, there was a Tim Burton Superman movie that came within inches, right? I mean, yeah. I want to see him wearing the the metal outfit from that, that's exactly. that test footage. The liquid neon effect. And I mean, beyond that, he, he named his kid Kal-El, right? He did. He did. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you want to find an uber fan of the Superman, mm-hmm. look no further than the Cage Man. But I love that after all of this time, he finally did get to do it yeah well I, i'm gonna have to see the movie just on the cage factor mm-hmm. <laughs> by the way renfield it, where he plays dracula yep. is over the top delicious goodness you could not ask for a better over the top cage performance and nicholas holt is just brilliant as he is anyway so uh oh and by the way i said that uh l fanning should mm-hmm. play Catherine the great for like another seven seasons mm-hmm. i wasn't done with the last season now i understand why uh, she will not be playing Catherine the Great for another seven seasons. <laughs> that shit came to an abrupt halt about 48 hours after I made that statement. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. There we Something's go. going on here. And then, yeah, the season ended. And I was like, oh, well, that was a good show. I wish there would be more of it, but I guess not. Okay, there moving on. There we go. There yeah, we go. All right. All right. Speaking of moving on, folks, when we get back from this break, uh, Aaron's going to follow up with uh, some info that Ben Stein shared with us. On last week's show, Aaron shared a piece of, of listener mail that it keyed off of your enthusiastic mention uh, of Cavalier and Clay, right? Yeah, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, Pulitzer Prize winning book by Michael Chabon. And uh, Ben Stein reached out to say he also enjoyed that book, but it had more personal ties to him. And then we started, we're pen pals now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've been writing back and forth and he uh, had given some some more information about dad's history Mm -hmm. back in the comic book days. And he also wanted to clarify, he is Ben number one on the all Ben Stein episode of Win Ben Stein's Money. (laughs) 
So I had to watch it so that way I could hear his voice. So when I read his letters now, I can mm-hmm. I can actually hear it in his voice, which I think is cool. So uh, the rest of our listeners, you need to get on a TV show and then write to us. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Ben wrote out and uh, he, he wanted to tell a little bit about Dad's time at Timely Comics. And uh, he said that Dad says Stan was very approachable back in the 1940s, even for a production assistant like he was. Mm-hmm. He felt that Stan became more standoffish and full of himself in later years. But my dad's opinion of him may have been colored by a somewhat humorous incident that happened decades later, which I'll describe below. Mm-hmm. So it was around uh, 1970 that dad tried to reconnect with Stan Lee. And mm-hmm. he came up with an idea for a comic book and worked with uh, a guy named Pierce to develop a pitch that he would present to Stan Lee. It was a comic book about the adventures of a teenage Roman centurion. And according to Dad, Stan Lee threw him out of his office after hearing the pitch, and maybe that's why Dad thought Stan wasn't as nice in later years. So he finds the comic book concept rather funny, but then again, if DC could publish uh, Commandy, The Last Boy on Earth, maybe there was some room for ideas like that. Uh, <laughs> And then he uh, separate uh, separate from Stanley. Now this mm-hmm. is the the good stuff here, because mm-hmm. uh, this is rubbing elbows with uh, comic book royalty. Besides Stanley, mm-hmm. Dad grew up in the Bronx, and amazingly, in the 1930s, he visited a very young person by the name of Bob Kane. No, yeah, who also lived in the Bronx, and mm-hmm. he asked for a drawing of the Batman. Mm-hmm. And Bob was still living with his parents at that time mm-hmm. and created an ink drawing of the Batman with his signature. And now I'm not going to reveal who in the family has mm-hmm. this because I don't want anyone going out there trying to hunt down there we go. this mm-hmm. rare heirloom. Mm-hmm. But somewhere in the, in the Ben Stein's family, there is a, a member of the family that has that, and that is their family heirloom. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is incredibly cool. And then uh, one, one little interesting note because we you know say it's ben stein but mm-hmm. not the ben stein from you know bueller mm-hmm. bueller there we go uh his middle name mm-hmm. is pierce so he's benjamin pierce oh okay just like from mash but he's actually named after a, a friend of dad's mm-hmm. and uh that was pierce rice who is a classical artist and war hero who worked on comic books as a steady source of income in the golden age uh pierce did the early green hornet and other work he was a very distinguished and nice man and uh, he is grateful to have that middle name uh to salute him and so uh apparently pierce was the guy that helped dad with the roman centurion comic that stan thought was just unworthy of his time hmm but anyway, uh, wonderful, wonderful correspondence from mm-hmm. from my friend Ben Stein. Thank you uh, for the words and uh, the memories. We appreciate you allowing us to share them. And uh, keep writing. It's always good to chat with you. Mm. Actually, Ben, if you're ever in Indianapolis, you let me know. I'll go take you out to the bar, buy you a beer. We'll have some, some cocktails and share some stories. Again, really appreciate him sharing. And again, not all that surprising about Stan in his later years, but... Speaking of stories we've had on previous episodes, I've been sharing stories about who almost got cast as Iron Man before Robert Downey Jr. secured the role. And I honestly thought, Aaron, we were done with this topic. Oh, no. no they probably deep faked it. These are all AI generated things, right? In the style of Wes Anderson? <laughs> <laughs> I could get a boat with that. Uh, but no, I, John Favreau recently, as part of a, a 15th anniversary Iron Man retrospective, revealed that prior 
to that Marvel Studios Paramount Pictures co-production. Downey was considered for another role in an earlier Marvel movie. And believe it or not, that was the original Fantastic Four, which was released to theaters back in July of 2005. And the role that Robert met with Kevin Feige to discuss was Doctor Doom. What? Favreau was sitting there with Feige at this retrospective and says, I remember you had all met with Downey already for like Doctor Doom or something or another project. I think he had come through on maybe Fantastic Four, so everybody sort of knew who he was already. Now, of course, the role of Victor Von Doom in the 20th Century Fox release ultimately went to Julie McMahon of Nip Tuck, but Downey clearly made an impression when he was in the building and when when he met with Kevin Feige. And so Feige said to Favreau that after Robert's audition, when it was clear that Downey just wasn't right for the role of Dr. Doom, but but had this confidence and charisma that would clearly translate to somebody else in the MCU. And that's when we were all in your office and we were pointing his headshot and it's like, we got to figure this out. He's got to be somebody. And so three years later, when Iron Man came together and the, the pieces all clicked into place, Favreau continued, once we decided that Robert would be Tony Stark, that's when my life got a whole lot easier because Robert understood the voice of that character. And Feige, uh, he went even further. He told Favreau that said, the tone that you and Robert discovered on that movie, I would say, became the template in a way for much of what the MCU became. It's hard to argue that position. That attitude, that energy, and... Well, uh, let's not forget the buttons at the end of the movies that have been consistent uh, from, you know, yeah. the very first all the way up till now. So mm-hmm. they created a blueprint, and they really haven't deviated a whole lot from it. Keep it light, keep it bright, keep mm-hmm. it fun. Yep. And because of Mr. Downey's history, he did not make a lot of money on the, on the first film. They got him for just $500,000. Now, by the time Avengers Endgame came around, his payday, he was commanding $75 million. And this really became a problem Dyke Perlmutter. Robert was actually communicating with his co-stars about how to negotiate with Disney and Marvel when it came to paydays. And quite famously, you know, we saw that play out with what happened with Scarlett Johansson and, and Bob Chapek. But another person who listened was Elizabeth Olsen. And she was just recently talking with the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. And, and she chatted with the host of that show, Josh Horowitz. And she talked about how if any actor gets approached for you know a role in an MCU film, her advice, and evidently this comes by way of her conversations with Mr. Downey, to not sign for more than one picture at a time. I think that way you have more control over, let's say, if you're like, oh my God, this is the most fun I've ever had and I love this character so much, I want to do it again. You know, You don't have the creative control if you do that. You know, whereas if you just sign for the one, they have to come back. With each of these, you can get that bit more creative control. Now, Elizabeth, in her time at the MCU, which may not be over, given the way Multiverse of Madness ended, she did six films and a limited series. We got introduced to uh, her and her brother Quicksilver 
at the end of Captain America Winter Soldier, and then they came on board as full-blown characters in Avengers Age of Ultron, and then were definitely major player in Captain America Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame, then, of course, the WandaVision limited series, and then finally, you know, where we saw her last in Multiverse of Badness with a temple collapsing on her and to be determined later whether or not if she's still in there. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., on the other hand, has done 10 films for Marvel Studios. Of course, the original Iron Man, uh, his end credit scene in The Incredible Hulk, then, then of course, Iron Man 2, The Avengers, Iron Man 3, Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, Captain America Civil War, his extended cameo in Spider-Man Homecoming, and then, of course, Avengers Infinity Wars and Avengers Endgame. So that's 10 movies. And again, we, we talked about how he started at $500,000 and got to a $75 million payday on Endgame. Elizabeth, her payday for Doctor Strange was $2 million. Wasn't her movie. It's Doctor Strange's movie. His name is on the title. I get that. Also... It wasn't the linchpin of everything that had come before, like for the last three phases. Endgame was the end of, you know, everything that had come up to that point. And Robert's character was deeply involved in a lot of that to where I'm sure he could go, if you wanted to play hardball and be like, no, nah, I don't feel like doing it. Rewrite it without me <laughs> or give me all the money. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean that you're in a much better position if the story is so heavily tied to your character because... You know, a lot of the stuff started with Tony Stark. It's like all of his mistakes led to Ultron, led to the invasion, led to like everything. So his character was deeply tied to it where he could be very, very forceful and demanding and say, you know, that you're going to make, especially with the way that Infinity War turned out and how mm -hmm. much money that made. Mm hmm. Where he could say, yeah, absolutely, you're going to pay me through the freaking nose. Mm -hmm. Whereas Multiverse of Madness is just a movie. It's not the culmination of everything. Mm -hmm. Now, I bet if we get to a Secret Wars and Elizabeth Olsen's still involved, mm -hmm. I, I bet you she's going to make more than $2 million. Now, I do agree that she is paid unfairly in the, in the scale of, mm -hmm. you know, boy gets more, girl gets less. That does need to be looked at and addressed. So I'm not poo-pooing that idea at all. Mm -hmm. But circumstances are different in, in each movie situation. So You are not wrong. But when you think about what a Chris Evans or a Scarlett Johansson... Well, Scarlett, oh, there you go. Scarlett is female. She got paid well. Yeah. Did she make as much as her, her male counterparts, though? Like from the, Scarlet, or the Black Widow movie versus Captain America First Avenger? Remember there, uh, you know, there was a rather public lawsuit and, and then mm -hmm. a settlement from Disney. I mean, she had a $20 million payday in addition to profit participation. So right. that is what also factored into Robert Downey Jr.'s $75 million payday. It, it wasn't necessarily that. Cash up front, it was off the performance. There we go. Yeah. So Yeah, so I mean, it, it doesn't. And again, I really don't want to be down on the idea of, of women should get paid less because that's not true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not true. Mm -hmm. But Scarlett got paid well in her situation. And with the lawsuit, it's like, yeah, I, th I think it's just the circumstances 
of, you know, is this movie the linchpin of everything? Mm -hmm. If it is, then I'm going to say, yes, I need to have 100% more than what I got last time around because you know at Disney as a company that this is the billion-dollar movie that we've all been leading up to. Secret Mm -hmm. Wars and the Kang Dynasty, those are the big, huge event films that everybody is waiting to get to. Mm -hmm. So I think all of the actors are going to be holding babies hostages you ever want to see your child again Mm -hmm. give me millions give me millions okay i get what you're saying but at the same time to see that number and especially knowing not so much what robert was making but also what chris and scarlet and it was just the whole notion of there's a factor of 10 at least separating between Mm -hmm. you know but at the same time your point is valid her movie was literally called black widow and the other one was called Doctor Strange. There we go. So, yeah. yeah. Right, I mean, right. there, there's a, some circumstances, but there still needs to be some leveling out as well. This is why I do the show with Aaron. He talks me off the ledge. On the other hand, the other reason I, I enjoy doing Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams is, again, he has great insights when it comes to a, a lot of subjects. And uh, you've been proving that with your 32nd Street podcast which shines a spotlight on Madison Avenue and all the the tricks they use to get us to to consume. Uh, toward that end, what, what what's going on with that show this week? Actually, this week we're talking about Bucky's. Have you ever been to Bucky's, Jim? Super giant gas station with a hundred gas pumps the size of Walmart. Bucky's with the Beaver character. Yeah, like, there you go. Yes, we we Nancy and I, and in fact, we're headed out for a road trip shortly and when we previously driven across the countries every so often we'll run into a bucky's and they are fascinating they are but it's the billboards the Mm -hmm. advertising on the billboards Mm -hmm. bucky's has uh, pulled pork tacos just 200 miles ahead and you're like wow 200 miles for a taco Mm -hmm. and then it's like and bucky's also has a stuffed chicken with uh, crawfish etouffee and i'm like what 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 the hell (laughs) <laughs> and then, you know, Bucky's has this, Bucky's has that. So I'm thinking, you know, it's a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you get gas, and, and it's the size of Walmart, and it's just jam packed full of people. And they've got, you know, Bucky's swimwear with beavers all over it, and mm-hmm. Bucky's plushy animals, and all that. And when you leave, there's a sign saying, We'll see you in another 250 miles at the next Bucky's, because you can't have them everywhere like a, a McDonald's. No. You got to space them out. Uh, how much gas can your car hold? How far can you drive? That is where the next Bucky's will be. And they turn it into gas station destination that you have to visit. You were not lying. I mean, I, I, in fact, they are building one of these in Florida at one of the major exchanges. And it's, I mean, it was a yeah. huge deal. I mean, the governor himself was welcoming Bucky's to Florida. So I think they're also building one between Nashville and Louisville as well. Oh. Okay. But yeah, the whole thing is uh, billboards for 200 miles build up a mystique, make you go, what the heck is this place? What, mm-hmm. what, why do I have to go here? And uh, after 200 miles of seeing signs, I'm like, well, baby, we got to stop. I don't know what it is, but we got to stop. Okay. And then we did. And, and it's now a new thing. Okay. And but, but, uh, Ron and I talk about it. <laughs> okay, cool. I just, just please reassure me that Bucky's etouffee isn't like truck stop sushi, right? No, it's a whole frozen chicken. You take it with you wherever you're going and then cook it when you get there and, and all that. So, uh, But the, the rest of their stuff is like really like good food that okay. you'd be like, oh, I'd order this at a restaurant if this were a restaurant. It's just a gas station, though. Wow. But okay. yeah, it's really, it's it's an amazing stop. Okay. So uh, yeah, yeah, check it out if you can. All right. Look forward to that show. And speaking of which, we, we have a couple of other shows here you might want to check out. We, of course, have 
Disney dish that I do with Len Testa, though this week Mr. Testa is off uh, traveling with his daughter Hannah, so the, the next one I think I'm doing solo. We have fine-tuning that I do with Drew Taylor, who, by the way, has his own wonderful uh, podcast worth checking out, uh, Light the Fuse, about the Mission Impossible movies. And sometime this weekend, uh, Brian Gaughan and I will be recording another brand-new Looking at Lucasfilm, so uh, keep an eye out for those. Beyond that, Aaron, talk to me about social media. Where can the nice folks find you these days? Still hanging out on Twitter, at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, myself, uh, still on Twitter, uh, likewise as Instagram. In fact, we just wrapped up a salute to MGM, uh, the, the theme park. Uh, but uh, you look for us there as Jim Hill Media, and then on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. If uh, could get you to head over to Apple Podcasts, and rate and recommend, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street. That would be very helpful. And if you really, really, really like what you heard here tonight, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. And I think that's going to do it for this week for myself and Mr. Adams. So thanks for listening, and we will be back soon. <laughs>